Come on. Time is right. The time is now. Welcome to Lifeblood. Be well and welcome our guest, the strong and powerful Paul Shapiro. Welcome, Paul. Wow, strong and powerful. I love it. <laughs> wow, I didn't come on your show more often, George. Thank you. Let's go. Paul is the CEO of the Better Meat Company. He is the author of Clean Meat and the host of the Business for Good podcast. Again, I'm excited to have you on. Paul, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. You know, my personal life is kind of boring. I'm uh, married and with a dog. Uh, my wife and I love our dog. And so that's my personal life right there. So, uh, but I live in my wife's shadow because she is a, uh, she's a three-time cookbook author and she has a lot of fans. So I'm like the dude who, when people recognize her at a restaurant, they like come up and give me their phone and ask me to take a photo of them with her. That's, <laughs> that's my personal life summed up in a nutshell right there. Um, but in addition to my personal life, I also, uh, wrote a book called clean meat, how growing meat without animals will revolutionize dinner in the world in which I chronicle the work of the investors, the entrepreneurs and the scientists who are all racing to commercialize the world's first slaughter free meat. So that means real meat grown without animals. Uh, so rather than having to raise and slaughter whole animals, we can grow meat from their cells. And that's what I talk about in the book, clean meat. I also am the CEO of a company that I co-founded called The Better Meat Co., in which we turn microbes into meat-like products. So I'm happy to talk about all of that, but there you have it. My personal and professional life summed up in about one minute. Boom. Well done. Well done, Thank you, Paul. sir. Thank you. Your, your, your wife's name is Shadow? <laughs> uh, my wife's name is Tony Shapiro, or Tony Okamoto Shapiro, actually. And so you can check out her books. Uh, her most uh, popular one is called Plant-Based on a Budget. So if you want to learn how you can eat delicious, healthy, plant-based food without spending a lot of money and breaking your bank, or as I say, how you can save dough by eating green, then go check out Plant-Based on a Budget. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So how did how did you get into the world of meat, Paul? Well, I was very concerned about num a number of things, George. So the first is I'm concerned about the way that we treat animals, because uh, the way that we raise animals for food, you know, it's not really something that people like talking about it because it's pretty depressing. However, in addition to the horrible treatment that we inflict on animals, we also just are unsustainable in how we're producing protein today. It takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions to raise animals for food compared to eating plants. And so when you consider the fact that we have nearly 8 billion of us on the planet today, and we're scheduled to add about 2 billion more of us in the next 30 years, uh, presuming there's no catastrophe between now and then, the question becomes, like, you know, how are we going to do it? You know, we're not going to be farming the moon. We're not going to be farming Mars. Um, we probably won't even have landed on Mars for, you know, in the next 30 years. So how are we going to actually create so much more food to feed billions more people because the planet isn't getting any bigger? Humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but our footprint on the planet just is not getting any bigger. And if we want to consume the foods that people like eating, like meat, we're going to have to get a lot more efficient about how we produce it. So both for animal sake and for our sake and for the sake of the future of our civilization, we've got to divorce meat production from livestock rearing. And we've got to start making the meat experience something that people can enjoy without having to slaughter animals. So in the same way, George, that, you know, when you, let's say, flick a light switch on, what you want is 
is the experience of an illuminated room. You want light in that room. You're not thinking about whether it's coming from fossil fuels or from renewable energy. You just want light. Well, similarly, when people eat meat, what they want is the experience that's that, that satiating experience of eating meat. And I think that we can create that experience without having to raise animals. And so that's what I'm devoting my life to. Nice. Well, I certainly appreciate everything you just said, and I think that that's a great, a great analogy for um, for for articulating it. And I certainly recognize um, the problems that you've just laid out. I think that factory farming is is pretty gross, and if anybody who's aware of it, I can't imagine that they don't think that. And it's a miracle that we're able to produce as many chicken sandwiches and hamburgers as we do in order to feed all the people who are interested in eating those things. So there's got to be a better way. So I'm grateful for the work that you are doing. What is stopping us from having this now? Well, first, I appreciate your kind words, George. And the thing that's stopping us is several. So first and foremost, um, you know, look, we have spent uh, half of a century or more optimizing and mechanizing the process of raising animals for food. And so we've gotten them through genetically selective breeding programs. We've gotten them to grow faster and lay more eggs and produce more milk than they ever would have naturally done. Um, And then also through a series of subsidies and other um, uh, government support for these industries through research dollars and more, you, you you see that meat is just less expensive today than it was, let's say, 50 years ago. Now, in some ways, that's good because more people can afford uh, this food that people want. But there's huge externalities that aren't paid for. And so, you know, you don't pay for the environmental damage, the damage that's inflicted in the animals and suffering and uh, the public health consequences aren't paid for at the supermarket when you buy the meat uh, in terms of, you know, having increased rates of heart disease and obesity and type 2 diabetes and other things that are associated with diets that are high in, in meat. So you don't pay all of that. But so when you look at that, though, the price of meat is artificially cheap. And so these so-called alternative meats are more expensive and that makes it difficult. You know, why are electric vehicles still, you know, only one or 2% of the vehicle market because they're more expensive than conventional cars. If electric vehicles were cheaper, we'd all be driving electric. Um, But the same is so here with the so-called alternative meats. They're just more expensive to make right now because they have not enjoyed decades of this type of government support and industry research to bring them down. What we at the Better Meat Co. are trying to do, though, is to create really succulent meat experiences by using the power of fermentation to transform microbes into things that look and taste like meat. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, if you think about right now, most people think about two kingdoms, they think about the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. And, you know, you got many companies that are taking plants and trying to make them taste like animals. That's like the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger. They're taking soybeans or they're taking peas and they're transforming those to be more like an animal's flesh. But plants and animals are very far apart in the uh, evolutionary kingdom, right? So what we are doing is we're not using plants or animals. We're using fungi and fungi are an entirely separate kingdom and they're not in the middle of animals and plants. They are way closer to animals. And so fungi are much more meat-like in their natural texture because they are so much closer to animals evolutionarily. So if you think about it, like mushrooms have been used as a meat substitute for centuries. Um, we also know, for example, that fungi, like animals, breathe in oxygen and they breathe out CO2. We know plants do the opposite. Plants breathe in CO2, breathe out oxygen. Um, uh, Fungi, just like animals, have to search out their food and and consume it. They don't just put themselves in the sun like plants do and photosynthesize. So all this is just to say that fungi are actually much, much better suited 
to be a meat alternative than plants are because fungi are so much closer to animals. And so what we do here at the Better Meat Co. is essentially transform microscopic fungi through fermentation into foods that look and taste like meat. And that process takes less than a day. So we can feed into our fermenter starchy foods like potatoes, and within less than a day, our microflora consume those potatoes. And just like a cow transforms grass into steak, our little tiny fungi transform starchy foods like potatoes into high-protein, high-iron, delicious meat-like products. Fascinating. How'd you figure this out? Are you? Do you have a... a whatever the term is, is it chemistry background or? <laughs> I am I, I am definitely not the brain here, George. So I'm the face <laughs> of the company, but there are many bigger brains here than my own. So uh, one of the keys to success in life, I believe, is to surround yourself with people who are smarter and better and more effective than you are. And that's what I've done. Uh, that's what I've done in my marriage. <laughs> that's what I've done in my professional life. <laughs> nice. Uh, just try to surround myself with uh, people who know a lot more and, and are more effective than I am. So um, uh, you know, our company, the Better Miko, has microbiologists, fermentation scientists, chemical engineers, and other great scientists as well. Uh, so they are the ones who are pioneering this process um, where we are capable of transforming potatoes into meat-like foods in mere hours. Nice. And is that the primary feedstock, for lack of a better term, are potatoes? Uh, yeah, and it is. you don't need a better term. It is literally a feedstock. And we can actually operate, George, with potatoes or any other starchy foods. So our microflora love eating starch, and then they take a starchy food and turn it into a high-protein food. And so potatoes work very well, uh, but we also can use rice. We can use beer brewery grains. We can use a whole variety of starchy foods. Um, we just happen to like potatoes, but we're pretty agnostic on the starch source, to be honest with you. Fantastic. And what 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 is the what is the net product like? Is it similar? Tastes like chicken? Tastes like beef? It looks like, feels like what? So if you go to bettermeat.co, again that's bettermeat.co, you can see photos of the product or you can follow us on social media and see videos and other photos of it too. But when it comes out of the fermenter, it looks kind of like raw chicken. And we can then add flavorings to it that make it taste more like beef or more like crab or more like chicken. And we can do other types of things post-harvest that uh, alter the texture and so on. And so that is the real premise of what we're doing is creating this substrate that is so versatile that it can be utilized to mimic any type of meat, whether it's seafood or poultry or beef or otherwise. Fascinating. So if I were to look at the label, what would the nutrition facts on, 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 on it be? You would see something that is higher in protein than eggs, higher in iron than beef, higher in fiber than oats, and it naturally contains vitamin B12, unlike uh, plant foods, because plants don't make B12. This is a microbial fermentation, so B12 is, is made there. So it's a unique in the non-animal world. Now, uh, you would see that this is a very low-fat, zero-cholesterol product as well, and the label would read mycoprotein. So that's what we're making is a mycoprotein that is a whole food natural product. So if you consider like what you need to do to peas to make, let's say, a plant-based meat, you know, you got to mill the pea into a flour, then you've got to fractionate it to remove the fiber, remove the fat. Now you've got a concentrated protein powder, and then you've got to subject it to a 
extrusion process that changes the molecular structure of the protein so that it becomes more animal-like in its nature. And all of that takes a lot of resources to do. Now, it's still way better from a resource perspective than raising animals for food, but it takes a lot of effort to do it. What we're doing it, through our fermentation is creating a naturally meat-textured food that once we remove it from the fermenter, all we do is remove water. That's it. There's literally nothing else that we're doing to it in order to change the texture or anything other than simply removing water from this product after we harvest it. Fascinating. Is is the word that you said, do you say microprotein or mycoprotein? M-Y-C-O, mycoprotein. M-Y-C-O protein. Yeah, myco is a uh, is Latin for fungi. Oh, nice. Okay. Like if Our, you've ever heard of if you ever hear, heard of the field of mycology, uh, that's like the study of fungi. Okay, nice, very cool. Um, so, how how are people responding to this? Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm for it because we just can't keep on feeding humanity the way that we are doing it now. Uh, eating meat that from conventionally slaughtered animals just is so resource intensive, so much land, so much water, so many greenhouse gas emissions, so much deforestation, so much antibiotic use, and the list goes on and on and on that people recognize like we just can't keep doing it, but we need alternatives. People want to eat meat. Similarly, it's like people want to drive, right? Like you could try to persuade people just to walk or uh, bike more, but you know, people want to drive. And so we have to give them electric vehicles that aren't reliant on fossil fuels. Similarly, we need to provide a meat-like experience for people that doesn't rely on animals. And there's lots of ways of doing that. You can do it with plants, you can do it with fungi, you can do it with animal cells and more, but we need to find a variety of alternatives. And so there's ample enthusiasm for people for creating a more sustainable, more humane method of feeding humanity the meat that so many people want to eat without all of the downsides that we were just talking about. I love it. My wife is gonna ask me if this is organic. So organic is a USDA regulated term that has very specific needs and requirements to meet it. So, you know, we are not using any pesticides or anything like that. However, uh, because our feedstock uh, comes from a variety of sources, we're not always getting organic sources of feedstock and that renders the product not able to be labeled organic by USDA. Um, But that's fine. This is an all natural product that is going, in my view, to dramatically reduce humanity's footprint on the planet. And so I would go so far as to say it's better than organic because it is enabling us to free up huge amounts of land. If we could scale this, it's going to you know, be enabling us to free up huge amounts of land uh, that can be used for you know, anything, for rewilding it, to you know, putting it in grasslands or wetlands, um, or using it for other food production purposes too. Makes sense. I like it. So what is stopping the, the commercial scale of this? Well, we have built a plant in Sacramento, George, that allows us to produce thousands of pounds of our mycoprotein per month. That's good, but it's you know small compared to what we need to do. We need to be producing millions of pounds a month. You consider how many uh, pounds of meat are consumed, uh, it's, it's vast. So what we're gonna do is go out and raise a financing round in the fourth quarter of this calendar year, 2021, in order to enable us to build a full-scale production plant where we can have a river of our mycoprotein coming out that we will sell as ingredients to the food industry so that it can make more sustainable protein products. Nice. Have have you raised money before or is this going to be? 
Yes, uh, our company to date has raised about $12 million, and we're looking to raise many times more than that in our next round. Very exciting. Very cool. How fascinating. It must be, well, I'm, I'm sure that there are a million different things that you're working on and challenges and probably stuff that I've never even thought about. So I, I, I appreciate the work, Paul. Uh, that's very nice of you, man. I appreciate it. There's so much to be done. There's so many people doing important things. And I appreciate you, George, offering a platform to people to share their stories about ways that they're trying to make a dent in the world. So I'm grateful for that. I like it. Well, Paul, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Lots of times people don't do something. They don't take a plunge into doing something, whether it's entrepreneurship or anything else, um, because they think they're not going to be able to do it, because they think that they are going to fail. And what I would suggest is the following. Most of the barriers that we place on ourselves are placed by us, right? They're mental barriers that we have. One of the things that I recognized when I was writing my book, Clean Meat, is that many of the people who are in the alternative protein space have started these companies, raised hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital, and they have absolutely no experience prior to their company in this space. They're not business people. They're not serial entrepreneurs. They're not even scientists. Um, they just had an idea and they wanted to pursue it. And so I would suggest to people to get in the game and try it. You know, people get paralyzed by analyzing the situation. And, they, you know, I you like to use as an example, you know, imagine that you want to learn how to play soccer. You're not going to go read a bunch of books on how to play soccer. You're going to get on the field and actually practice and see if you can play. That's the same here. So if you're thinking about starting your own company in order to make the world a better place and create some innovation that's going to save humanity from ourselves, I'd encourage you. Don't wait. Today is the time to do it, not tomorrow. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. Just do it, Paul. Yeah. If only, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to um, trademark that term. Just do it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Just see what happens. I like it. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Give us the website again. Tell us where we can find the book. Listen to the podcast, everything. That's so nice of you, George. So if you're interested in the Better Meat Co., just go to bettermeat.co. Again, bettermeat.co. And if you're interested in the book, you can buy it anywhere where you buy books, or you can go to its official website, which is just cleanmeat.com. Again, that is cleanmeat.com. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Paul your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to bettermeat.co and then pick up a copy of the book at cleanmeat.com or anywhere that you buy your books. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.